Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another edition of Inside the Firm. I am your main host, Alex Gore. We are here with Al Genius Gore. I don't even know what we call you. The guy who just like comes and shows up. Co-host of the co-host of the co-host. I'm really moving down. Exactly. Exactly. Every week, yep. So you. (laughs) (laughs) What do you have for us? What do we got for us? I'll tell you what we got for us, Al. We've got our cat, right? Uh, So as more and more businesses and tenants demand green design in their building, LEED certification is more important than ever. Uh, While our cat is known for being red, they can help you go green. ArcCat provides thousands of lead reports from building product manufacturers on how their products can help make the green choice that's right for your project. Head over to ArcCat.com and find out the information you need for lead. I would also encourage you to head over there for any of your CAD, BIM, or specification needs. You can use their product, uh, their wonderful spec wizard. If you've never created a spec before for your building product project, it is so easy to use. You can just It's free like everything Arcat does. So head over to arcat.com today. Check them out. They support this podcast. Please support them so they keep supporting us. You know where the state of drafting standards is at right now? Oh, I hope it's not in, I hope it's not in CAD, meaning 2D CAD. I hope it's, I hope people aren't hand drafting. I hope people aren't just like scribbling on napkins. Is that what's happening? What is happening? I'm even talking people who have Revit. Mm Mm-hmm. How it typically works is they develop some sort of standard, maybe, right? Uh huh. Because a lot of times you just have people implement it that's come out of school. Some people learns it, learn it. Mm. If someone takes the ball, they become the BIM manager, yeah, right? Yeah, at bigger do. firms. Yep. And then also the BIM manager isn't the one doing the work, right? So like their knowledge of how actually to, to, to model, they know how to model, but they don't know the actual workflow of how and why you should do things Okay. in Revit. Mm-hmm. Then, and, and that's actually like, oh, you're at least having at a good level. You have a BIM manager, all that. A lot of times it's just a cluster of people who uh, model and they come up with some sort of solution. Sometimes you have your little studios. Sometimes there's one person that's good and you just follow their lead. Mm-hmm. Anyways, all of that is wasting time, money, and resources. It's wasting a lot, a lot of money. And firms do not know how much money they could be gaining just by becoming more efficient by having everyone on the same page. Mm-hmm. If you want to solve that problem, you can. How do you really? You have a solution. You go to RevitRocketship.com. Wow. Head on over there, ladies and gents. You blast off into profits. You blast That's off. what you do. Yep. There's a whole rocket. bunch of money up there. You don't even see it. It's in the clouds. You get a rocket ship. You go up there. You land it back like Elon Musk because we can do that now. Absolutely. And now reusable, all of a sudden you have re- reusable rocket ships, reusable Revit. Yep. Get everyone on the same page so that you can all pass models off quickly so that not only are you on the same page of how to do it, it's time tested from firm a firm that has modeled a thousand different buildings with you know at least twenty different people 
um, and updated it and really refined it over over 10 years. RevitRocketShip.com. Check it out. What else? You should also check out Pella Luxury. Head over to head over head on over to PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm because you've never experienced a brand like theirs before. I'm telling you, Pella is the shiznit. Uh, the collection is that of, what they said? Is that that's the not read? what they said. Corporate didn't <laughs> say that, but I'm telling you, head over to there. It, it, it their, their product project products are so cool. They're so cutting edge. They are right there pushing the envelope every time. The collection of brands within the luxury division of Pella are the conversation starters. They are the pioneers of the industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects, Ooh. the building industry, and beyond. They have decades of experience creating things like no one else in the world is creating. And the collection of brands are brought together to complement and build on one another, which is so important, right? Because we want our architecture and building pro- projects to uh, look like one cohesive design at the end. And you need to do that with some of the most important parts of a building, windows and doors, right? So they don't push beyond the limits. They set them. So explore PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. I think you're on the webpage. I'm on the webpage. And, and go check it out. Honestly, go there because it starts out with like a colonial house. So that's one style. Then it instantly goes to like a space house, like the house that's like modern and super cool and very refined. And then it goes to like a Colorado mountain awesome house. And then it goes to a museum. So like take a look. They, they, it's not just one type. Go take a look at them and you can really see what they're up to. Heck yeah. And I will, I, uh, if, if you were watching this on YouTube, you would have saw us go into that webpage and explore it a little bit while Alex was talking. Look at that. Heck yeah. Awesome. Okay. What, Lance, what's an emotional problem with residential architects? Oh, Are man. you having emotional issues? Uh-huh. Come clean. Am Let I us crying? Know therapy. Am I? <laughs> right if now. If I walk into my custom designed and built house yeah. uh, with my wife and cry every day? Well, I, I don't know. I think there's. I look at the windows and the and I say, uh, man, those need to be cleaned. We should get one of these four kids on them. Yeah, they are just taxing, and they are actually. Yeah, my uh, Three, just, we have we have cleaning scheduled. So my wife was going over parenting problems with me via text yesterday, and then I was kind of giving solutions and then and then listening. But like she kept coming up like the baby's giving us problems. Blah blah blah. That baby is a problem. And then I I said fire them. <laughs> fire these children she, she stopped talking to me <laughs> they are egregious i'd fire them if they were giving yeah. that much problems so what i do want to talk about is uh residential architecture and let me ask you al do you think it is more emotional than commercial architecture do you think owners of commercial architecture versus residential architecture are less emotional about their commercial buildings and what they're doing than residential clients. Residential, clearly more emotional because clients for commercial are always thinking, what what can I do for the end user? And they have to rationally process that because it's a different perspective. And there's a bottom line. Yeah. Like a different kind of bottom line, right? Yep. Yeah. What do you, what is another reason why maybe it's uh you're more you're more emotionally attached to your house? Uh because your family's in there. And your it's your house. Yeah. And maybe it's the first house you ever bought. And maybe it took you a lot of scrimping and saving, especially now with inflation and the way things are rising. It took you a lot of effort to get into that house, right? So uh I think there's something that 
<clears throat> all residential architects, people who do residential architecture and and build residential architecture need to be aware of. And it, and, it, and it relates to, I would say, not so much new construction, but doing remodels and additions on existing houses, right? So we have a, I don't know if you have this this rule in your head, Al, but I do. And um, I've, I've tried to convey it to all, all the employees that work with me. Um, maybe you have with the employees that work with you too, but it's that we have a we have an unwritten rule at F nine, and that is, uh, <clears throat> if a client asks me if it was my house, what would I do? I don't engage. I don't go. I don't allow myself to slip into that conversation. Oh, okay. Be- okay. Because uh, I've answered that question many times. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm careful about how I answer it. How about that? Yeah. I, so I, I don't allow myself to go right into like what I really want to say, yeah. which sometimes is I wouldn't have bought this house. I would, I would tear oh. this house down. <laughs> I think you're making bad decisions with your money right now. Don't do this. Yeah. Um, so that is, it's not about directly answering that question in those ways because i think you have to differentiate too like because some projects you would not be doing it at that way at all yeah 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 so the so i think <clears throat> so i think the correct way to to approach when you get those questions is un, number one understand what we, we've already established on on this show today is that resident residential you you might break people's hearts they might they might get severely offended with it because it's such a personal thing, but this is a business transaction that you're that you're doing with them, right? So it's it's a careful navigation of answering those questions. And I think one th- one of the ways I do it is I say, well, well, this isn't my house, and I, and it's maybe not fair for me to put myself in that context. But I'll tell you what I would do, what I, what I recommend as your architect. Okay. And you I just like and you just frame it that way. Yep. What do you think about that? I like that a lot better. Um, I haven't run into the sticky situation, um, where they asked me and it was combined with like a project, like, Oh, I just, I wouldn't be doing this at all. Right. I think maybe Um, it's because your side of the firm is doing a lot more of the new, new stuff. And mine is doing by far more, especially in Denver. Yep. Uh, a lot more of these custom residential projects Yep. um, in historical neighborhoods and, and non and just old houses we're dealing with. And how I tackle it too is when I say, Hey, I would do it this way. I always say, and it's because we're like this. So here's an easy example. Mm. <clears throat> I would destroy all the upper cabinets besides maybe one. Oh yes. <laughs> I know he's on this kick, which I like. I, I yeah. like where you're going with the no yeah. upper cabinets thing. And then, and then just buy matching plates and silverware and reduce it because my wife and I are about elimination of stuff, yeah. not about gathering stuff. That's who we are, you know. That might not be who you are. Yeah, I like it. Yep. I like it. Uh, so anyway, I thought that was an important thing. I did experience that this week, and it was a good reminder uh, to me about how to tackle that in a creative and thoughtful way that doesn't break people's hearts. Because I guarantee some of you listening out there have had those kind of thoughts when you get those kind of questions where it's like, oh, I'll just tear this down. And that's the wrong answer because... Uh, you're just at a certain. There's too much emotion in, in, invested into that piece of property. Did, did you get? Did you get? Did this happen? Yes, <laughs> but I did not say that. Oh, okay. I, I, I actually had to go explain it to the um, owner. Like, well, that's not a fair question. 
because uh, because of this. So here's what I'm recommending as your professional architect. Yep. Versus a person. Yep. Right. Okay. Yep. Cool. Um, on that, let's just do a hard transition. Hard pivot. Yep. No easy one. No no good segue. Um, I want to talk about how to conduct a one year review. Mm. And I think there's steps. One year review for an employee. Yep. For an employee. That's great, right? Um, it's a couple different steps and, and we've I mean, we've done this for like ten years now with, with multiple people. And I, I think we're finally at a good place where it's worth us sharing. Yeah. Um because we, we had different systems and stuff, but now we're getting someplace. And the first thing that I think you need to do is open it up to them. Let them, hey, what did you think? And and before we used to prompt how did you think the year went? Um, what what was some positives, some negatives? I always think those are good questions. But if they've been there for a while, or you might just try to open with, hey, what would you like to start with? Mm-hmm. And if they don't have anything, then you can have a list of two to three questions just to open it up and have them explain. Because one one thing that, that we learned is now that we get more and more employees, is is we realize is, Okay, not everyone's going to value the same things that we value, right? So if we go into it hitting these one things, they might want something totally different or they might want something just slightly different, but a lot, like they really, really, really want that that thing, right? And how are you supposed to know? You're not 20 other people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and really got to emphasize that, that I like when people think like me, but man, it's not going to happen. It's just, it's not possible. There's, <laughs> There's only one Lance Psycho. Right? There is, yeah. I've already I've Googled myself. There is only one Lance Psycho. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple Al Gores, which is upsetting. Yep. <laughs> there, um, okay, so after you have that conversation, and that conversation can last maybe half the meeting, you know, if it, if it's an hour long meeting. Um, and you can go in into those other questions. So now that you understand where they're coming from and their concerns, right? Then you kind of dive into your part. And before you dive into your part, like your pre-work should be as Okay, list out the salary history of that person, right? What was it through the years? What were the increases through the years? So you have some context, right? You need context to have clarity. This podcast, context and clarity. Go listen to it. Yeah. Um, then to get more context, do a salary comparison to the salary comparison AIA. You, you Google that. Um, they have different roles. They have uh, different areas. And you can see kind of where... That person's at which what level the AIA and and everyone who kind of reports their salary is at. So now you have context, right? Then, then basically what we did is a level review. So Lance has been talking about how we put together our employee handbook, and we have everything from designer <coughs> to senior designer, uh, project manager to senior project manager principal to senior principal, partner to senior partner. So like, okay, where are they at in that? And there's criterias for like what that does. So if you're at one level, like are you meeting everything Mm. or like do you have to work on stuff? And then what's the next level? And then what do you have to do to get there, right? It might just be like, hey, you're doing most of it, but you're still missing out on these three. So you got to catch up on one where you're at and then like add three more to get to that next level, right? So that's a level review. And that's overall. <laughs> and can I go back one thing? I'm gonna sure. put. The, I'll I'll hopefully put this up on the uh, interject. You know the video stuff, so you'll see it on my screen here. But the AIA compensator. Uh, I think this is really important. So not everybody's in the AIA. We are not in the AIA. Um, 
but the AIA does some really great stuff. And so one of the things they do is they have a compensation survey calculator. So if you're trying to, if you're putting together a manual like we did, and I, by the way, I show I showed on last week's episode, if you didn't catch it, not the whole thing, just the table of contents, just so you could see the gist of it. And if so, if you go to info.aia.org forward slash salary, you can select the different kinds of positions and you can see uh, <clears throat> based on different uh, roles and titles, how that fits into your firm. And then you can even sort it by region. So you can see, let me go back to that again. AIA, there it is. Uh, you can sort it by region. So like, let's say I picked architect level one and then I can go Colorado and I can see what, what the base pay, the medium pay and all of that, and really understand where you're at in that negotiation process. Even for new hires, I would say that's a good idea. Yep. 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 Um, after that <coughs> level review, then it's the performance review. And that's just kind of a more detailed of the level review. So like the good, hey, what are you doing good? What do you need to improve? I know I, it, it sounds like it's the same, but like the level review is more general and the performance review is like probably actual specifics, right? This is what's happening. Here's a case. Here's what happened. Here's what we need to, to happen, right? Um, and then from there, after that discussion, you can go over the offer like, hey, we'd like to offer you a raise or hey, you think we you earn these uh, perks, these bonuses, blah, blah, blah. Um, please read over it. You know, I immediately, if you have any questions right now, we can go over it, but then, you know, go take it home, sleep on it and, you know, bring it back tomorrow if it's good or we'll talk in a day or two, right? Um, the one thing that like Lance and I had a discussion too. It's like, okay, what happens if they like ask you for, for more, right. Or for different stuff. Um, you know, more is just always a value judgment, like, you know, utility judgment, how much is it worth for money and all that. But let's say they're asking for other perks like, Hey, uh, um, vacation days or work from home days and things like that. Let's just use the work from home days. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think you need to evaluate like what is your firm's foundational, how it works. We have F9 principles, right? And let's say someone said, Hey, I want to do, uh, I want to keep working with you, but I want to work a hundred percent from home. Mm -hmm. Be like us, we'd say, Hey, that works for other firms, right? Or that might work for a specific job type. You know, let's say you're a renderer or something like that. Right. Um, but how we are competitive is that we have a very quick feedback loop. Yep. The only way to have that quick feedback loop is to have, you know, multiple people in the same room going back and forth, right? It's not to say you couldn't say like, hey, you want to work one day from home? Oh, sure. You know, you, you know, like that you can't compromise, but like that's how you analyze those requests <laughs> is think about your, your firm and what you're offering. And, just, and some firms might be like, no, no, no. We, we set up that like, we have our computers at home and we have a screen that shows everyone else at all different times. And, and that works out great. We can do it that way. That, so, you know, you don't have to be like us, but just what is the principles of your firm? And then how do you keep that when you're negotiating? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the principles are really, I mean, they need to be the core of what you're doing a hundred percent. So with that, I would like to pivot to one of them. Okay. If we right. can, unless there's anything else on the hiring nope, stuff. Nope. Good stuff, Al. So now uh, a good pivot. And by the way, I'm going to name this, how to conduct, this, this episode is going to be called How to Conduct a One-Year Review. There you go. Uh, 
what I would like, so I had a little sneak peek on Monday. Um, so <clears throat> following this episode, uh, the guest that we'll have on the show for the Monday Morning Coffee episode will be Eric Bertslaff of Raptor and Civil Engineering. He is our favorite civil engineer uh, on the planet, and I was thrilled to have a good discussion with him. Really good stuff. Honestly, I was blown away about how energetic the conversation was because I think a lot of people in their minds are like, oh, engineers, that's boring. Eric is Eric is the opposite of that. He it's it just it was one it was one of those conversations where I was like, wow, so glad I invited him up. But he had a really great idea. Yep. And so he's a listener of the show. Yep. And he says, uh, one of one of you one of the things in your principles that I really liked is that you guys respond in twenty four hours. So if you go to f nine productions dot com forward slash foundations and you look at F four, yep. communicate, respond in twenty four hours. However, he one upped us and I hey, want and I think we can raise the bar here. Yep. So uh, the bullet point I have written down is uh, the 24-hour rule improved. I think so that their firm, what they do is <clears throat> you are to email or you are to, re- to return a phone call or an email within one hour. And if you can't do that, then it's 24 hours. Oh, that that's that helps so much more. So much more because I was going to push back and be like, I, 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 I can I, see it. I can I, see his body language. I sometimes have two-hour meetings. You exactly. know what I mean? And then, and then maybe I'm driving and maybe, you know, like, and then like, sometimes it's not always appropriate to say, I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? 90% of the time it is, but sometimes it's not. It's like, I'll get back to you. It's one question that I don't know. And if I had my <clears throat> computer up, I'd do it, but I'm on the road. So it's another hour away. Um, <clears throat> so I like that. The rule is to respond within one hour. The rule is to res- the re- the rule is to respond. It's a two it's a two part rule. Re- you respond to an email or a phone yeah. call within twenty four hours, if possible. If not, then it's twenty four hours. Yep. I think we let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome. Yep. Thank you, Eric, for that suggestion. Yeah. There you go. So uh, now, for now, so I I, I love it. We'll, we'll update it. Let everyone know. Um, but let's go to another cool person, Nick, with uh, Nick Reeds. All right. Hello, best friends. I hope you all had a great week this week. A reading. The rise of design thinking. Professional service firms are in the business of thinking. Their products and services are packaged knowledge. If you are considering building a service firm, or you are a leader in a large organization, I encourage you to tap into the rising power of design. Be a design fanatic in whatever business you are in. Design thinking differs from how most service professionals see the world. The majority of service professionals are paid to solve a singular problem. Design thinking takes on problem solving from another approach. It invests energy into finding the right question to explore. Think outside the norm. By finding the right question, designers have the greatest chance of producing the most value for their clients. First, define the problem. Frame the problem. And then solve it. Once the right challenge is selected, design thinking sets about creating products and services that incorporate both substance and style. This combination makes design thinking rise above the strictly analytical thinking that is widespread amongst service firms. 
Arthur Gensler from Arts Principles. Toodles. Art Gensler. Great. The great Art Gensler. The great Art Gensler. Rest in peace if everybody didn't know, but they should know. Uh, so last week, Art passed. Uh, God rest his soul. He died at the age of 85. Uh, we've read, Alex has read the Art, Art's book. We've we've had a couple of excerpts on here about that. Um, I think one of the most impressive things to me as an entrepreneur is that Art grew his three-person design business into one of the world's largest architecture firms. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Everybody can do it. I mean, obviously, you have your limits, but people can do stuff that are that are amazing. Yep. Speaking about building a great team, let's bring the team down. All right. Yeah. All right. Question number one. How high above the floor should a smooth, hard, non-absorbent surface be that is within two feet of urinals or water closets? Should it be A, so this is the height, four feet, B, two feet, C, three feet, D, three foot six? What a horrible way of ask, asking that question. Can you ask that again? So, <laughs> how high above the floor? So that I never have to take these tests. How high anymore. above the floor? Should a smooth, so this is describing it, hard, not absorbent surface, ARE, these are ARE questions. So how high should that surface be that is within two feet of urinals or water closets? So if you have a urinal or water closet. Got it. You're very familiar with urinals, I'm sure. A, <laughs> four feet. B, two feet. C, three feet. D, three foot six. A, 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 B. I can't read that. D, A. It is A, four feet. There you go. Rectamundo. What? I hope the viewers can see Milo up there. Look at it. He's watching over us right now. Whoa. Watchdog. Milo. He's watching like hardcore. Yeah. Simba. <laughs> uh, question two. Mineral surface roll roofing shall not be applied on a roof below what slope? What the heck is mineral surface roll roofing? I feel like a bad architect. Oh. You highlighted it in the IBC. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible architect. Is it A... 212, B, 312, C, quarter inch to a foot, D, 112. Good question, Al. Did Markitect write his tiebreaker? But we still have the one from last time. Oh, do we? Yep. (coughs) All right. D, C, A, B, A. The correct answer is D, 112. 112. 112. Yep, mineral surface roll. I don't know what it is. I'm going to Google it right now. This question is dedicated to Alex Gresh. Oh, yeah. What was the cause of the 1985 collapse of the ceiling over the swimming pool in Zurich, Switzerland? A, severe corrosion caused by chlorine vapor. B, under design of the structure. C, improper maintenance. D, cracking in the ceiling slab. Does anybody need a repeat? No. <laughs> Uh, what do we got here? We've had D, B, B, C, A. The correct answer is A. Way to go, Alex Rush. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Which of these was a key flaw in many brick veneer wall systems supported by metal studs? A, poor detailing. 
B, redundancy in the water resisting system. C, insufficient stiffness in the stud backup wall. D, lack of sufficient control joints. Which of these is a key flaw in many brick veneer wall systems supported by metal studs? A, poor detailing. B, redundancy in the water resisting system. C, insufficient stiffness in the stud backup wall. Or D, lack of sufficient control joints. Do, 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 do. What do we got? What do we got, Reebs? Uh, D, C, A, D, B. The correct answer is C. Which is insufficient stiffness in the stud backup wall. Yep. What do we got for numbers? We got three. Goose egg. Two. And Jason two. takes a cake. Congratulations. Where are we going to eat? I'm inclined to go to Eastmoon. All right. Yeah. We're, going to, we're going to Eastmoon. Lance? Take us out. I like it. Uh, if you like this episode, give us hit hit the like on the uh, on the uh, the Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, all of that. Don't forget to leave us a five star review, and we will see you next week.